can have a seat. We, uh, we do Good Friday services every year, um, and honestly, they're one of my favorite uh, services to do. Like, I, I, the idea that um, for someone as, as, you know, soft-hearted and as, as foolish and as easily distracted and, and all that as me, like, that Christ would die for me is amazing. And that, that, was, that was one of the things that blew me away when I came to the faith, like that anybody would love me that much. Um, and, and so we've talked about the cross. We've talked about the horror of it. We've talked about the hopelessness that the disciples had at the end of it. We've, we've had years where we finished our service and it was pitch black and quiet in the room and, and you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And, and, and all of that, like all the different ways we've approached it. Um, this evening we're going to do something a little different. Um, we're going to do. Uh, we're going to talk about it is finished. It's the last words that Christ spoke on the cross. Um, but we're going to jump ahead to the very, very end of the story before we dive into that. Um, we're actually going to start in Revelation 21. Um, we're going to read one to six. Um, and this is so. Like John is writing this, it is a prophetic vision he had, where an angel took him to see things about the the present and the future and about what was happening outside of the realm of man and he got to see things from God's perspective and Revelation 21 is kind of the end it's a very popular one at funerals I've I've read it at bedside with folks who are dying on a number of occasions because it is the end the destination um and it it goes then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And so, like, like before I jump into the next little bit here, I want to just kind of comment, like, like this is the core of what we believe. Like, if you look at the way that they talked about um, death and life, like for the Jews and like the folks around Jesus, they believed that that life in the body on this earth was what we were made for. And we see this here where like after everybody has died, there'll be a resurrection. Everyone will come back. We'll be in glorified bodies and everything will be made right. And there'll be a new city where everyone will live together and we will, there'll be no sin. There'll be no loss. There'll no, be no horror. We'll, we'll plant gardens that grow perfect every time and we'll, um, you know, learn about God's creation and we'll walk with him and talk with him and arthritis won't visit anymore, and, and everything will be amazing. It is what we are made to experience. And, and it's described as a bride, you know, like the city comes out like a bride adorned for her husband, and, and that image just blows me away. But we go on from there, and this is kind of where we're heading with this. Um, and behold, a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, nor the former, for the former things have passed away. And so there will be this eternity where we literally live our lives forever in God's presence. You know, it, it'll be like what the disciples tasted with being with Christ, only glorified and perfect um and then here's our here's our last word here the end um and he was seated on the throne or excuse me and he who was seated on the throne said behold i am making all things new also he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true and he said to me it is done I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now, why is this such a big deal? Well, this is the end of the story. And at the end of the story, everything is made new. And the thirsty are given water, clean and cold and like refreshing and nourishing water. And like Christ himself announces, it is done. Um, on the cross, Jesus ended his life announcing, it is finished. And he did that right after he said, I'm thirsty. And what did they give him to drink? They gave him like vinegar on a sponge, um, like poor, low-quality wine, like garbage wine. And he, he drank it like so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And, and that's from Psalm 21 where it talks about like, you know, I thirst and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth and my enemies give me nothing but vinegar to drink. And, and like in that moment, he drank because he was thirsty and he cried out, it is finished. And it is all aiming at this moment. But the truth is, all of creation is aiming at that. From the fall, like where God loved man and loved his creation, and it was wrecked. And we were brought far away from him. From then on out, it was a journey back. This is the end of the story. This is where the cross ends, really is forever and ever it is done in his presence. Let's continue to worship. Let's continue to sing. And in particular, the fact that God designed all of history and sent his own son to thirst and die so that he could one day say it is done and give out living water for those of us who thirst. Like what a wondrous love. What an amazing thing God has done for us.
So if we're going to look at sort of the epic story of God's restoration of, of the, the, the fixing of the sin problem of, of our rebellion and being brought back and adopted as children, we have to begin in the beginning. And like God created the world perfect. Um, you know, the, the, it's interesting to me that when the curse happens, before the curse, it wasn't hard to be a farmer because there was no sweat of the brow or like pain in his back from doing the work. Things grew and they were delicious. Like he met his wife for the first time and he broke into song because she was so perfect and, and they were naked. And you think, well, you know, that doesn't necessarily sound that great. Like, but part of what goes with that is these are people who like before sin, they never had anything to hide. They had no shame. They had no, no nothing. Like they didn't look at each other and think, well, does this person know what I really think? Or does, you know, they didn't lay in bed at night and fear that people would find out they were frauds or whatever. Like, like there was nothing. And the fall happened and everything changed. Um, and sin came and death came and everything that was perfect was broken. Um, in Romans 5, uh, we see the comparison there, but also how it is that God sets the economy, sets the justice system, sets the world on end through Christ. Like the spiritual reality that we live is the opposite because of Jesus. And so we have, um, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. There's a lot of mouthful there. And basically what Paul is telling us is Adam is the opposite of Paul, or Jesus. Adam is the opposite of Jesus. And there was no law, but they still sinned, and they continued to sin because they rebelled against God, or they didn't recognize him, or they ignored him. Like the creation that he created because he loved it suddenly was a rebellious child who, who ran away from home and pretended he didn't exist. And so we see where like the free gift is not like the trespass. So the cross the resurrection is not like Adam's sin. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, and so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. No, now the law came in to increase trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What's he saying? There's a lot of text there. 
What he's saying is, listen, as this one guy, Adam, brought death into the world and many people died and many people rebelled and many people hated God. So in Christ's one act of righteousness, many are made right through this this cross, through this horror, through this this suffering, through receiving punishment for our sins. Like God literally poured his wrath out on Jesus that was earned by us. And Jesus took that cup of wrath and drank it to the bottom. And through that death, we are saved. We're made right. And God looked at him and saw me, and he looks at me and sees Jesus' rightness, Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' innocence. And that's why we celebrate Good Friday. Like, that's where the story begins is the horror of sin, the horror of the fall, the horror of, of all the brokenness that came into the world through Adam. And from that point, from that fall, it was always going to the cross. It was always going to our redemption, to our buying out of slavery. And it was always ultimately aiming toward the new Jerusalem and the day that it will be done. And so as we worship today, as we remember, as we gather and like, like talk about the cross, we talk about Good Friday, we prepare for Easter Remember that, like, we don't deserve this. Like, Jesus didn't die for me because I'm great, because I'm with Adam. I'm dead. Um, but Christ loves me and died for me when I was wicked.
so as we've kind of established, like sin is this problem, and it was always heading toward the cross, um, it's hard to really dig into this, like, effectively, to, like, really talk about sin and the payment of sin um, effectively. I, I, I was looking at analogies for this today, and, and you see things like where in Hosea, God has Hosea marry a prostitute. And, like, she cheats on him over and over again. And he says, this is what it's like when my people sin against me. Or where he compares our, our actions to a pile of dung or, or used uh, feminine rags. Um, or, or, you know, even worse in some instances, like, like it's the sort of thing you're uncomfortable talking about in front of people because it's so, like, offensive to God. Like, it, sin is so offensive and so repellent and so abhorrent that to even talk about it the way the prophets talked about it, like, in the Bible, we get, un- like, I get uncomfortable saying some of that. Because it's it's gross and it's horrible and it's offensive. And like we're tempted sometimes to say, but it was just one sin. Or it's just some pictures. Or it's just angry words. Or it's just, you know, not praying. Or it's just, you know, a little bit of money. Or it's just this or it's just that. And we like to downplay it. But the truth is God's holiness and his justice demand payment. His wrath demands that it be paid off like it's got to be satiated in hebrews we find a a great text like hebrews is one of those really great ones for sort of explaining the jewish system as it has changed in relation to christianity and uh hebrews 9 tells us uh therefore not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood for when every commandment of the law has been declared by moses to all people he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Throughout, like, it's actually really interesting if you read the, the priest codes and the laws. Um, when you would sin, you would pass your sin on to something else, onto a lamb or a, a ram, and it would take that suffering on you. When you got a disease, you would be cleansed by the blood of, of whatever you brought to sacrifice. Like, these sacrifices, that blood was to demonstrate God's, like, need for, for like, justice. For, for his wrath to be played, like played out and for punishment to be handed out. Um, and we think, well, that's a lot, but we don't understand how horrible sin and brokenness is. Um, that line there, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And the truth is, without somebody paying the price for the, the sins committed, for the rebellion, for the broken law, without somebody like, like answering, there is no taking it away. God is ultimately merciful because he doesn't, like, crush us the moment we begin to sin, the moment we are, are stuck in our sin. And instead, he sends his son to die for us. He sends his son to shed his blood, to, to pour out his, his very essence in our place. Um, we're washed clean because his blood washes us. 
In the same way they washed the tabernacle and they washed the implements and everything else. Like it is the blood of Christ that washes us. Um, and so as we remember Good Friday, as we remember the weight of, of the world placed on Christ's back, you know, the, the nails driven through his hands, the spear stuck in his side and water and, you know, blood pouring out. Like, like we remember these are things that were poured out to make us right with him. To take away the grossness of our actions and our thoughts and our words and, and how we rebel against him and love ourselves or love the things he created. It was amazing. But there is nothing, nothing, nothing in the world apart from the blood of Christ that can make us whole. And so we have to remember this on Good Friday. We have to remember this death was paid for us to make us clean, to make us whole. Nothing but the blood of Jesus could do that. So as we travel from the fall to it is finished and then finally to it is done, um, we've looked at uh, we've looked at the fall and how it was always like the pathway home was always like through the cross, like there was no other way to get there. And and we've looked at this idea that that got us horrified by sin and that that 
blood has to be spilled. Um, and today, like next, we're going to talk a little bit about um, about how the Old Testament, like, I think this is one of my favorite sermon topics. I love talking about how the whole Old Testament is about Jesus. I love talking about, like, the, the snake raised up in the camp, the bronze snake, and how it was ultimately about Christ, or about how Abraham offering Isaac is about Christ. But on the night Jesus was betrayed, like, before he was, like, sent into trial, he ate the Passover meal. And the Passover meal, like, the Passover service, the whole of Passover week, is a reminder of God freeing his people from slavery in Egypt, where they were, where they were held in bond, where they were crushed under the weight of Pharaoh. And, like, the story of Exodus is the story of God coming to his people's aid and fighting for them, like fighting battles on their behalf. And so the Nile River turning to blood and the hailstones and the gnats and all the other crazy things that happen in there, that is the story of God going out and, and throwing the one-two punch against Egypt and winning the fight on behalf of his people. And the knockout blow is, is the very beginning of pointing forward to Christ in this story. We see in Exodus 17, or Exodus 12, the story of, or, you know, comment on the Passover, the Passover itself. Then you shall take some blood, so they're told to go and sacrifice a lamb, a perfect lamb, with no mark or blemish or broken bones or anything, like a perfect lamb. And they're to take the blood, and then they shall take some of the blood and put it on, put it on the two doorposts and the lintels of the house in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, and the unleavened bread with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its, with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it. With your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, you shall eat in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." There's a whole lot happening in this text. Um, Passover is about Christ. He was crucified during Passover because he was our Passover lamb. And that blood that they would paint on their doors as a sign for the angel of death to pass over them, it's us, right? Like the blood of Christ, nothing but the blood can save us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And for us, we are covered in the blood. And when God sees us on the judgment when he sees us and we stand before him, you know, moments before he says it is done, he'll look and those of us who are covered in the blood will receive innocence and he will pass over us and it'll be amazing. It'll be wondrous and it'll be horrible. It'll be horrible for those who show up without it and we, it's our job to tell people and to share it and to, to preach it and to live it. But that sign for us is that. And then the firstborn were struck dead instead. God's only son, who would be his firstborn, was struck dead on the cross. And so as we gather for our Passover, as we gather to remember that Christ died for us and that God himself came out to fight the greatest fight on our behalf, 
the fight against our sin, against our wicked, dead, stony hearts, and against death itself. It's the thing that claims us and claims our loved ones and our parents and our grandparents and everybody ultimately. God went out and fought for us on that cross. And I, I know when the Israelites got into the desert, they stopped and everybody stood up and they sang praise to God. And today we sing praise for the victory that Christ won through his submission and through his death for us. We stand in awe. Too marvelous for words is Jesus. Too wonderful for comprehension. Too graceful for our even to hope and deserve for. But God loves us that much and God went that far. And so we stand and we sing in awe. Stand, I stand in 
And so as we travel from the fall to it is done, um, it's important that we stop along the way and we recognize that throughout the Old Testament there were street signs and, and arrows pointing to the cross and pointing to the life that Christ would live and the death that he would suffer and God's plan for our redemption. Um, over and over and over again, the prophets spoke about it. If you if you read Psalm 21, you should do that this evening when you when you get ready for bed. You should read it and you should pray. You should recognize Psalm 21 is an echo of Christ's words on the cross. It is an echo going backward of the things that were said and done, where where he was crushed and he. He cried out to God, and, and, and I thirst and given vinegar to drink. It is, a, it is an agonizing psalm. Um, but this evening we're going to look at Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne all our grief and carried all our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's interesting that the uh, ancient rabbis, when they first read this, um, during the exile, once Israel had been cast out of their nation or out of their land and they were held captive in Babylon, they would read this and they would assume that this was the, like them. The guys who were innocent are the man of sorrows. The, the guys who never sinned against God, like all of those other bad guys, that's us. And so they assumed that that was the innocent who suffered God's punishment that was meant for everybody else. And sometimes we look at ourselves that way and we don't see our own fallenness. We don't see that, that we're as bad as everyone else. I might look nicer. I might have behaved a little better because the Spirit is in me and is keeping me from being sinful because I'm born anew in Christ. But like every other person who ever lived, I deserve judgment. And God sent His Son, the man of sorrows, carried the weight of our sins on his back. He was crushed for our iniquities. pierced for our transgressions. And by his wounds we are healed. We remember the cross. We have to come back to this particular passage every year. I think I've used it ten years in a row now. He was the man of sorrows wounded for us. We are not the heroes in the story. Christ is. He rescues us despite us. It, it, it is what makes Good Friday the most amazing service of the year because there's so much on our behalf. And it is a step on the way to it is finished. He had to do that to save us. 
to justify or to to justify us to make us new and he did it willingly man of sorrows lamb of god Cries out, Alleluia.
every year for Good Friday, I, I dress in black, and I, I've worn a suit and a tie more than one year, which is really out of character for me, because <clears throat> I've always appreciated that, um, like the Catholic Church, when they do Good Friday, they do a funeral service. Um, they do a remembrance, like, of a death. And then they spend the weekend doing vigil and remembering the, the, the death that Christ died for us. And they, they treat it like the death of a member of their church. Um, I'm going to read a, a bit of a poem. Uh, Taken in the night from a prayer with his father, he didn't even fight. No, he didn't even bother. But betrayed and denied by the ones he loved. But he knew this was the reason he'd been sent from above. He was the king, the Christ, the spotless lamb. But in our eyes, he was nothing but a sham. His love was the drive and his life was the price to become this sinner's sacrifice. Beaten and whipped, garments stained blood red, had a crown of thorns pressed on his head. And the people all laughed as they mocked his name. But all that could be heard were his screams of pain. Brought before Pilate to receive his sentence. To think this was all done for my repentance. Pilate pointed to the people and said, let them decide. And we all screamed, let's crucify him. Tree on his back as he marched from the city. They yelled and they spat. And the sight wasn't pretty. Led to the hill where his death he'd meet. And they drove the nails in his hands and his feet. Suffocating death was now all he felt. While the crowd, some wept and knelt. It's for our sin that this man died. Jesus took his last breath and then he closed his eyes. In John's account of the crucifixion of Christ, um, in 19, we have a couple of lines that are just very powerful. I've always always come back to them. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus had received his sour wine or his vinegar, some translations, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And it's interesting because John was an eyewitness. He was the only disciple who followed Christ to the cross. He went all the way to the end willing to die. He was also probably the youngest. And young people tend to be a little more like impulsive. They, they, they tend to be a little more like, like willing to take risk. But he went there and he's the only one that records that, that phrase, it is finished. Mark records it as crying out with a loud voice before he gave up his spirit. And so what we have is Christ hanging there. And when he's finished all things and he finishes the last prophecy, which is from Psalm 21, and he drinks his vinegar, he cries out, it is finished, and he dies. But what's interesting about that, that phrase, it is finished, in Greek is actually one word. It is tetelestai. And it's in a form that is not, um, all right, it's done now. Um, I heard a great talk once where the guy argued that best read it means it is finished, it always was finished, and it always will be finished. And so the story of 
the fall and God fixing the world and this epic tale of him setting out road signs and planning it out and showing us what would happen in different symbols and events and through Abraham and Isaac and and everything else. This whole journey ends on the cross when it is finished. It always was finished and it always will be finished. So Hebrews tells us that Abraham was saved because he believed in the promise of Christ, not even knowing that Christ would come, just knowing that God promised something. And I sin, and I continue to sin, and I struggle, and I'm half-hearted, and it's still finished in me. I cannot outrun God's grace. And tonight we finish up, and we're going to finish up kind of silent. We're going to give a moment of prayer. Um, and we'll give a moment of silence, and then we'll we'll head on out, and we'll remember that Christ laid in the grave. Um, but at that very last moment, with it is done way in the future, he cried out, it is finished. The man of sorrows cried out, it is finished. And our Passover lamb, whose blood bought the remission of our sins, who broke the curse, the death that came into all the world through Adam, who basically completed what was necessary for it to be done. Gave up his life and he died. And he was laid in a borrowed tomb. And the apostles went home, or the disciples went home, his mother went home, John went home. Their Savior humiliated and broken. And they waited silently and wept. And thought, what will God do now? There is no hope. But Easter was coming. And for those of us who mourned in the last month, Easter will come. And for those of us who remember horrible things that have happened and have tears in our eyes, Easter will come and those tears will be wiped away. Those of us who suffer, Easter is coming and new life is coming. Let's pray silently and then we'll, I'll close us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that we live our lives as believers looking at the world around us and worrying about so many little things but constantly with an eye on the future, knowing that there will be a day that it will be all done and we'll stand with the Alpha and the Omega and the new heaven and the new earth and that you'll still bear the scars from the nails on your hands and feet and the thorns from your head, Lord, that those scars will be there and there will be a glorifying reminder of how much you are willing to pay to save us. This Good Friday, we mourn at the death of our Savior and we know that we also will celebrate and cheer on Sunday. Help us to be aware of this. Help us to own this, to consume it, and to know that Christ Christ finished it all on the cross. Amen. Have a good weekend, folks.